Hello and welcome to The Huddle. Liam Santa Maria with you and uh, it's the day off in the middle of round 10. Um, good time to just take stock of where we are with NBL 22 and to help me with that, I've got Damian Martin on the show, the six-time champion, the six-time defensive player of the year, the absolute legend of Perth Wildcats and the NBL and uh, we're going to run the numbers. So we're going to bring 10 statistical facts to the table of NBL 22 so far, and we're going to run the eye test over those facts. So sit back, relax. Up next, Damien Martin. All right, Damo, what's happening, mate? Thanks for jumping on. Not a problem. It's uh, morning over here, so I've got my little one getting ready for school, and it couldn't have been perfect, better timing. I'm out the back while my wife is doing the breakfast run. They're getting them ready for school, so take as long as you'd like. I know we're going over a bunch of numbers. I'm in no rush. That's great hustle by you. Um, have you had your morning coffee? Like, are you ready to, to run the numbers on this thing? Oh, yeah. I'm on to coffee number two, so I might seem a little excited at times, especially when that second one kicks off, but uh, it's been a great season. Plenty of basketball, like you said, a day off, which is a rarity with the upcoming schedule. Indeed, indeed. It's been pretty crazy in recent times as we catch up on games. Crazy result last night where Illawarra uh, go down to New Zealand. We'll get into a bit of that. Let's, let's start in an area that you know particularly well because every one of your championship winning teams over the journey was an elite defensive team. Defense and rebounding. That is what you guys built your success on fact number one melbourne ranked first for defensive efficiency giving up an insanely low 94.7 points per 100 possessions now if they stay at around that point they'll arguably be the best defensive team in nbl history those numbers will rise but that's where they sit right now what have you made of them defensively so far well, I'm going to tell you to settle down right now by saying they might be the best defensive team ever. I think about 2009-10 Wildcats were pretty good. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, look, it's it's funny. You know, I remember doing the courtside commentary last year and I want to say Vickerman dragged JLA off pretty quickly because he missed a defensive assignment. I can't remember the rotation I think he missed. But things something that people don't might not realise is JLA was an all-conference defensive player of the year award winner in college. Like they've just got him. I think he's been one of the best defensive players all year. And you match that up with Della Vadova, who is obviously a gun on ball defender. And he does demand the most from his teammates at the defensive end. So, you know, I haven't been there at trainings. I don't know what the messages is messages are from, you know, Vickerman, but I've got to say, I reckon, you know, Della Vadova is probably bringing out the best in his teammates from the defensive end. You know, we already know that Shaili is a, a premier defender, but that combination now, I look back at the success I was fortunate enough to be part of with the Wildcats. And there was always that really good understanding of, you know, say myself with Matty Knight or Mitch Norton with Nick Kay, kind of that point guard four man spot, because mm -hmm. when you're picking up full court or you know, flip side, look at the New Zealand breakers when they're in their prime, you always had a, a you know, said Jackson and Vicona. There was that understanding of that one four punch. And I think uh, Melbourne have got that going where you're picking up full court, you're turning them, you know, your big is there to help or you send them to the basket to help. And uh, their team defense, their rotations in particular, have been incredible. So they are the number one defensive team right now. That's a great point you make about the pickup points. I think that's one of the key differences. They've got guys on the wings like Jack White and uh, Dave Barlow, mm. these guys, Mason Peatling, um, and uh, of course that elite rim protection. But you can't be 
an, an all-world defensive team if it doesn't start with the point guard, if it doesn't mm. start with the point of picker. And I think we saw this Melbourne United championship winning um, teams uh, with Cas- when they won in 2018 with Casper Ware, when they won last year with Mitch McCarron. And of course, like you say, you, Cedric Jackson with the Wildcats and, and the Breakers, what Delhi, and then when he comes out, Shayili's doing it, that point of pickup with the physicality. I mean, they are really forcing the issue here with the officials. And there's a lot of people around the league complaining about how physical they are. And it starts there at the point guard position. I think that's, that's a massive key for what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and Jack White, I rate as an incredible player, uh, two-way player. You know, just being able to have him back and at full fitness, it looks like, it just means those rotations, you don't lose anything whatsoever. So it's big time for them. And it's not even a point of, there's very few guards you're going to pick the ball off, you know, steal the mm-hmm. ball off full court. And I remember we were playing uh, Melbourne a couple of seasons ago. Game one, we won. But to be honest, Nordo and I didn't do our job on Casper Ware insofar as our role on the team is to pick up 90 foot, try and turn them twice in the backcourt, you know, just to take time off the clock, upset timing, upset spacing. That's all that job really was. Game two, so we got away with the win and that wasn't really exposed. Game two, we lost. Mitch and I played the exact same way, but, you know, sometimes after a loss, you really do notice the things you, you took shortcuts on. And I remember that video session the next day with Trevor Gleeson. And from start to stop, every single possession in that first quarter, uh, I started the game and probably eight possessions in a row stopped. Damien, why didn't you pick up Casper full court? And the first one or two, you come up with, you know, my bad, you know, I should have, there's no excuse. Third possession, he stops it again. Why didn't you pick up full court? And I could feel the blood boiling and I knew exactly the message he was trying to send and what he was trying to achieve. And I was just getting frustrated and frustrated. I was like, I should have, it's my fault. I should have, no excuse. I sub out, Norto subs in. Mitch, why didn't you pick up Casper full court? Same thing. So the whole quarter we watched that. And the next game, the goal, only goal Mitch and I had at the defensive end was turn Casper twice, every single possession. Pick up, sub out. If you get get fatigued, sub out. And that's all we did. And, you know, it's just one of those things that if your role in the team is to pick up full court, turn them twice so that maybe potentially fourth quarter, minutes ago, you've done a little bit extra to make them fatigued and they miss the game-winning shot by being short they don't have legs underneath them, then you've done your job. And, and I remember it was those little intricacies that Trev demanded. And uh, I dare say Vickman's doing, Delhi's mm-hmm. definitely doing by being doing it verbally with his teammates and out there and actually actioning it. Uh, it goes a long way to getting those wins, especially by the back end of a team where you can break them physically. All right. Number two, same realm. Th- this is uh, the new kids on the block. And uh, they're the, the club that are trying to follow the Perth Wildcats blueprint. They've made no bones about it every step of the way. The Jack Jumpers, they lead the league in steals and more generally forcing turnovers. What have you loved about the way the Jack Jumpers have gone about it so far? Oh, everything. I, uh, I was as excited. Well, no, no one was as excited as Scott Roth after that win when he started fist pumping <laughs> the crowd. But I got off my couch and I found myself doing them at home as well and, and messaging he and Jacob Chance immediately. Just look, it's a fun style they're playing. And the fact that they're getting the jump on teams early, you know, if it happens once or twice, maybe it's a coincidence. But game after game, they're going in there, you know, with a great game plan. They're ready to go. They know what their rules are. They know what their roles are. And, you know, they're putting themselves in a position to win week in, week out. Now, sometimes they just 
flat out haven't had the ability to close out games and the better teams have come back and, and got the dub. But I love the style of play they've got. Uh, they're giving it their all. And if a team comes in and isn't at their best, they're going to yeah. drop to the jack jumpers because you know what you're going to expect from there. And especially now that they're shooting the rock better from behind the perimeter, that yeah. was letting, letting them down there for a while. Did you know Scott Roth would be an effective head coach in this league? You know, sometimes assistant coaches, one of the big things with assistant coaches is, are they, do they have that nasty streak? Can they keep people accountable when they're in the head chair? And um, Scott Roth, to me, it looked like in Perth, he took over that Matt Nielsen role as like the arm around the shoulder guy. You know, that, that guy you could come and talk to when you're in a bit of a slump and that go between between the players and Trev. But it looks like in Tassie, and you listen to him, he say, look, I've put that, we've had a hard conversation with Mikhail McIntosh. I've sat down with Josh Majed and we've talked about, it seems like he has that balance going really well right now. Yeah, he was always a head coach and an assistant coach's role when he was in Perth. And, and he was, you're exactly right. He was the conjoint between Trev uh, and the players. But all along, you could tell that this guy, you know, whether it's one and done or two years, we get him as an assistant, but inevitably he's a head coach. So I was over the moon when he got announced uh, as their inaugural head coach. He's doing a hell of a job uh, and he's just a great guy as well. So I used to love sitting on a plane and we just watch video together and just hearing his thoughts. And to be honest, a lot of the game is very simplified in his mind so far as let's go under this one if the pickup point is there. Let's go over if it's here. Let's send him this you know, directional. So it's not stuff that you haven't heard before, but it's so consistent and it makes sense every single time, which means when he articulates it to his players, they understand and they can implement it straight away. So even though they're year one, it looks like they, you know, they've been a team playing together for a number of years and that starts with the directions you know, given from the top. And, and Scott's a you know, very popular guy, but he loves to win. He's competitive. There's no way you move away from your family for so long unless you've got goals to achieve and, you know, and he's ticking some boxes, that's for sure. I'm picturing you uh, celebrating like Scott Roth was. After that win, <laughs> when he was, was pointing so at the pumped. crowd, when he was pointing <laughs> yeah. at the crowd saying, you, you, were you, were you pointing at Maggie? Like, who were you yelling at? I was pointing at my three-year-old going, Bonnie, you, you, similar to, you know, all the mess she makes in the games room. But uh, no, it, it was almost one of those moments you, you'd seen a movie. I felt like that at the end of the game, you got the coach, you know, inspiring the crowd. And I was half yeah. expecting the crowd to stand up and be like, no, it's you, Scott, it's you. <laughs> Uh, but no, it was it was a great moment and, and one that I've watched so many times. If you're in a bad mood, just flick that on replay For and uh, you can't help but smile. All right, number three, let's talk some offense. Let's talk some shooting. This is These are uh, two statistical facts that kind of re- relate to each other. Three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. Number one, Majuk Majuk is now a 100% career three-point <laughs> shooter. <laughs> uh, I I love Juke, so I'd be saying get that rock more from behind the perimeter. (laughs) I would. I remember when Matty Knight let a few fly. Now Matty was actually you know a good mid range shooter, and occasionally he'd step out from behind the three. But it's as a teammate, every time it would happen, the few times it happened, you're like, yes, this is it. And uh, to see Juke's go in, I was over the moon. So (laughs) it's good stuff. And go down as the greatest Wildcat shooter of all time. (laughs) He is. In fact, the week before, I'd done like a video breakdown about um Illawarra defense right and it was about Harry Froling not helping on Bryce Cotton driving to Mm -hmm. the hoop and I was saying look the guy that you're sort of sticking to in the corner is Majuk Majuk and I'd looked it up and I was like he's a zero percent three-point shooter over his career (laughs) because he's never attempted one and it was like front of my and then the ball goes into Vic Law 
And Majuk goes, well, I could dive to the basket and get offensive rebounding position. But you know what? Stuff that. I'm just going to space out here at the top of the arc, catches it, knocks it down. Beautiful thing. It looked good. So we do a three-point shooting game. Well, I'm not sure if Scott's still doing it, but previous uh, prior to retiring, we do a three-point shooting game every game day shoot around. And and Juke can flat out shoot the ball. It's just that we don't often put him in positions to uh, give him that look. So who knows? Maybe you'll see a few more. Or he'll just keep that 100% and never do another one. All right. Part, part B of, of this one is that Mitch Creek, is top five in three-point <laughs> shooting percentage. He's shooting 48.8% on five attempts per game. Mm. It's helped him be second in the league for scoring. He's knocking on that Bryce Cotton door to take over the number one spot. I spoke to Judd Flavel, the assistant coach to Southeast Melbourne Phoenix the other day, and he said, mate, stepping into a catch-and-shoot three, I mean, he's equal. Like he said, he's, he, he sits equal with Ryan Brockoff with our shooting records. At practice, uh, Mitch Creek yeah. is shooting the heck out of it. Yeah, and it's every way. I remember him, you know, getting a rebound, dribbling down full court, one, two off the dribble, early shot clock. Now, you don't let that fly unless you're full of confidence and your teammates will back you to, to give it a crack. And he's been brilliant. I think Mitch is top three in MVP right now. And it's funny, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Melbourne and Perth. But I think Southeast have kind of, for whatever reason, they don't deserve to be the underdog or the or the quiet ones going about their business with the roster they've got. But it starts with Mitch, and he's been brilliant. And four years ago, three years ago, his weakness was that three-pointer. Last couple of years, it's improved where you kind of got to jab and get back. And now he's a flat-out shooter from beyond the arc, and he put that into the realm of everything else he's got in his game. And, yeah, he's just one of the best in the league. It's an interesting one because you talk about four years ago, three, four, five years ago with Mitch Creek, if he was shooting it like this, he'd be in the NBA and he'd been, mm. he, he would have been there for the past four or five years making enormous money. Just It's funny how things work out. I, I saw him, I watched him a couple of times at NBA Summer League. The last time he was there with Dallas, was it with Dallas? I think it was that with Dallas, maybe Minnesota. I can't remember. But I remember his last couple of games, it was like, he's this close to getting the deal. Yeah. And they just need to, he's going to play major minutes this game, he was told. He needs to put up the numbers. He needs to show that he can catch and shoot and knock it down. It didn't quite happen. He didn't quite get that deal. Now, no one can ever take away from him the fact that he's an NBA player because he's played regular season games with mm -hmm. that logo on his chest. But do you think that window is closed for him now? Or if at the end of this season... He changes the way he's where he's playing, perhaps, or what he's doing. You think that could still happen for him? Well, with how he handles the rock in his hands and with how he's shooting it, you could play him at the three spot in the NBA, uh, which is where I believe he would have to play. And a big part of that has been able to knock down the three. So I don't think the window is closed at all. I think GMs and scouts are seeing now what they wanted to see, you know, 12 months ago, 24 months ago. And it just takes one GM to give him an opportunity. And I've said this about someone like a Bryce all along as well. If a GM gives, him an gives either of those guys an opportunity, I don't think they'll be let down. The sad thing is a lot of the clubs look to the future unless they're current contenders. And if they're mm. current contenders, they've probably got a superstar in those positions, the point guard, the three spot. Uh, but can they play in the NBA and hold their own? I believe so. Will they be given the opportunity? I hope so. But, you know, I'm not entirely confident. Yeah. I wonder if Galai Creaky looks at, like his former teammate, Kiefer Sykes, this year. And be mm -hmm. like, you know what? If I was in the G League, I 100% would have got, especially with the way I'm shooting the ball, would have got some 10 days. And I reckon I would have been able to do what Kiefer has done and kind of like land that guaranteed deal. 
Yeah, that's the biggest threat I think the NBL has right now with these superstars that we've been able to bring out in years gone by is anyone that's got an, an NBA goal, it must be tough to uh, not take up a G League contract right now because of how many players are getting caught up with COVID protocol. You know, I, I talk to Trevor Gleason occasionally, you know, Toronto have had their uh, COVID players out. Uh, Matty Nils with San Antonio, like these rosters are constantly changing. You pick up someone from the G League and they prove, they prove their worth. And uh, yeah, you, you hold on to them for a while. All right, let's, uh, speaking of former NBA players, number four, Lamar Patterson ranks inside the top five for scoring. Mm-hmm. 17.3 points per game. What have you made of his and Brisbane's season so far? I don't know what it is, to be honest, because I think they've got three of the top 10 players in the league. You know, I've got to see Franks up close, obviously Sobes. They're three very, very good good players with a great roster surrounding them. Drimmick's a great role player, can get going. You know, you, you look around that roster and I just, I think it's more so a testament to how good the opposition is at times, but then there's just that little bit of inconsistency. Brisbane at their best can beat anyone and could win the championship because of those star studs star-studded roster they've got. Patterson, you know, when he was out here in Perth to see him up close doing his thing, he's just so big, so strong, shoots the ball well. You know, he's an all-NBL first-team player on any given night, but why they're not winning on a more consistent basis, I don't entirely know, to be honest, because maybe they're too offensive-oriented, but a bit inconsistent at that end from those Mm -hmm. three. But, uh, yeah, if they get it going, I just don't see which team can match up with them with those big three. That's certainly been James Duncan's perspective is to say, look, this is the, the you guys over a number of years and I'm going to come in and try to change this, but you've been that exact team that you've just laid out. What we need to do is be really consistent at the defensive end, become like a top three, four defensive team in the league so that, yes, we might go up and down with our shooting on a particular night, but we're keeping, we're staying competitive because we're locking teams up and they haven't been able to develop that consistency at that end just yet. My, my other, my, the other thing that I'm thinking about is, um, is Isaiah Moss mm-hmm. and the third import spot that hasn't really worked out because he's been injured and he had COVID and he got, he got out there for a couple of games. He had knocked down a couple of shots, but they got both after the whistle, which was frustrating for him. Say in a, hypothetical world the bullets decided to move on from isaiah moss Mm -hmm. and replace him with another import what do you think it would it would or should be that should it be a point guard and move nathan Sobey to the two should it be another isaiah moss type or just stick with him or do they need help in the front court I'd be going, I feel bad that I forgot, I forgot his name, <laughs> considering he was Defensive Player of the Year award winner last year. Uh, the Hawks import. I'd oh, be going, Justin Simon. Sorry, Justin Simon. I'd the, be going, the the cotton stopper. Of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd be going a Justin Simon type of mold. Okay. I'd, you know, I just think that Sobers is an elite defender, but you can't expect Sobers to be picking up full court you know, going back to what I said earlier, turning twice, fighting over screens, pin downs, whatever it might be, but he's capable of it. But I'd like to see just a a defensive-minded player coming in saying, your role now is to simplify Sobes, Patterson, Franks, pick up, give it your all, be physical, dominate the defensive end. And then at the other end, get the ball down the court, get us in our right positions because they just, they got so many offensive weapons but Sobes is the emotional leader on that team. 
You know, I don't know if, you know, Franks or Patterson are verbal leaders, mm-hmm. whereas I dare say Sobes gets after some guys, but you want him in his best positions and that's being the second best defender on the team. I think you'd want to have him as. Uh, so he has his moments where he's picking up and getting after guys, but more importantly, hey, Mitch Norton, go pick up full court, like someone like a Nordo mold where they're going to be the dog on your team, hell of a defender, but also be able to run you offensively and direct and be a verbal guy. So, you know, Nordo as an import uh, would be perfect for the Bullets. All right, let's talk about the Wildcats. They sit second in offensive rebounding percentage Mm -hmm. behind Adelaide, but they rank stone cold motherless last in defensive rebounding percentage. They grabbed just 66.8% of their opponents' missed shots. Um, as we said off the top, you guys in, in WA, over a long period of time, defense and rebounding, it started with the wall of Vlahov, Fisher and Crawford and, <laughs> and then so on through, through the guys, Matt Knight and Nick Kay and John Mooney last year. What do you make of that? How they're kicking butt on the offensive glass, but they're not finishing rebound defensive possessions. Oh, look, I think of all the numbers you've rattled off so far, what's, what do they say? Stats tell, stories sell. <laughs> you know, the reality is that's the story of the Wildcat season is when, when they're competitive on the boards, they will win. If they lose and they've lost some rebound counts significantly, you know, it's just too hard. You know, you give a team two looks at the, game, at the, at the opposition at the end and they're going to win. I remember Rob Beveridge used to always say when it came to rebounding, you know, you guys have got to rebound if you're giving up too many uh, possessions to the other team. Hell, you give me 20 possessions to your 10 and I'm beating you one-on-one. And we'd all look around going, no. <laughs> Bevo, no, that's not happening. We get the but, message, yeah, but no. Yeah, you ruined it with that last comment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, at this level, it, it's exactly right. You're giving up too many boards to the other team. And unless the Wildcats are shooting the ball incredibly from behind the arc, which they have done at times this season, mm-hmm. just putting too much pressure on you to get a stop and then, you know, get a good look because you might only get one look at it. Offensively, thankfully, they're getting a couple, but defensively, they're giving the other team two and three looks at times, and that's not a good recipe for success. Do they have the roster to be a better defensive rebounding team? They have the, they do, but they've recruited it for a certain style. You've got to remember that, and that style is working. Uh, I mean, when they get going, you know, it's it's an incredibly fun way to play. It's fun to watch. It brings out the best in each individual's skill set, but it might be a case, and I don't know what you know is going on behind closed doors. You know, you look at look Travis, you know, swooping in and getting big boards. Yeah. Now, when that happens, like, oh, great board, mate. But it may now become the norm that, look, you've got to go for 10 boards a game. Right. Uh, you know, if there's one goal we have for you, it's getting 10 rebounds. Jook's going to do his role. You know, he's kept him in so many ball games with what he's doing on the rebounds. Uh, Hodgson, you know, he's got to, you know, be a rebounder. So there might just be three or four core guys that you say, yep. you've got to go get this because if you're not, who will? Yes. Uh, and, and even Vic Law, he's, he's a very capable rebounder. Love what he's doing, you know, with putting the ball through the hoop. But it's also got to be a case of, you know, like a John Mooney, you've got to average eight to ten boards a game. That's what we need more, even if it means dropping four or six points a game. Yeah. Um, those three names in particular, Majuk, Majuk, Luke Travis, Vic Law, putting up big offensive rebounding numbers, mm. swooping in and getting those. But, yeah, maybe not um, with that mentality at the defensive end. And it, it makes me think of Jarrell Martin. Mm-hmm. You know, the Kings are getting better and better defensively. And he, he came in last year. He's in way better shape this year. I wrote this the other day. But one area that it's showing up and helping the Kings that doesn't get a lot of press is his defensive rebounding. Second in the league now 
in total rebounds behind Cambesto and a lot of it just finishing possessions with defensive glass, which is massive for the Kings. Yeah, you're exactly right. And even, you know, you, you watch Jesse Wagstaff, for example, when a shot goes up, he will always box out. Most disciplined guy you'll ever see, he'll always box out. But they do need someone swooping through at times because just the caliber of the bigs in the league this year, you know, got some very good handy big man. So it could be a case of, hey, if I'm boxing out, Nordo B, you know, whoever it is, I need you guys swooping through as well. So it's, it's got to be a collective effort because they are undersized. And if they are going to stay in games, they've got to limit teams to one shot. And as Trev used to say, uh, rebounding forgives all sins. So you might give up an open look, but hey, if it misses, grab that port and we'll move on to the next position. Yeah. Possession. Um, th- there's a great, I can't remember who it, who it started with, but it was like, um, you know, offense sells tickets, defense wins games, rebounding wins championships. And mm-hmm. I think it's just something to kind of keep an eye on with the Wildcats about whether they can, they can um, improve that. Because when it gets to the playoffs, if you're giving up offensive rebounds, you're going to lose. Yeah, especially who you're looking at potentially facing in the playoffs. Uh, you look at the size of Southeast and the rebounding ability of them and Melbourne. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, if there's an Achilles heel for the Wildcats, it's two things, their starts and the rebound count. All right, despite playing number six, despite playing only 15 minutes per game, Kai Soto sits equal fifth in the entire league in free throw attempts per game. <laughs> 4.6, he's getting to the line. Teams are finding it hard to, to stop him when he gets the ball close to the basket, so they're fouling him. He's the only player in the top 15 of free throw attempts, averaging less than 20 minutes per game. What have you made of his recent impact? Oh, I love watching him. I think he's a future superstar. I didn't realize that number, but it doesn't surprise me with how aggressive he is. I'd be saying, get him out there a little bit more. <laughs> but you love the mindset. Points per possession, per you know, purely from an analytical point of view, it's the best shot you can take, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, is a free throw. And so I remember we used to, with Bevo in particular, he had a huge focus on trying to get to the free throw line, in particular when you're struggling to score. Uh, and I think he in particular, he comes in, he's electric, he's, you know, got good energy, he gets on the ring, he calms the team down, you get to set up your, you know, defensive full court press after a free throw. So there's a lot to like about his game. I, I didn't realise that, but yeah, if, if we can get a few more minutes and get into the line a bit more, the coach would be loving it. Um, I also have been a little, I've been impressed with uh, his footwork defensively. You know, mm. he's, got, he's got some improvements to do and his ability to move laterally and whatnot, but he seems to have a good sense of um, where to be on those coverages. You know, like he's, he's, mm. they're in the mush and he does a good job of kind of absorbing that penetration, being there, staying tall. It, we're not seeing like a lot of silly fouls from him where he's not being getting to the spot or he's coming down over the top of, of guys. I think they're, they're good early signs from the young man. Yeah, I agree. I think that they can build on a really good platform right now. And I think he's just, you know, when you're young, sometimes it takes confidence. Now there's, you don't lose skill overnight, but you can lose confidence and, and, you know, confidence can affect your skill. Whereas you have a good game, it's the flip side. All of a sudden it's like your skill comes to the surface, even though it's always been there. And right now, despite whether it's wins or losses, you have to be happy with the individual performances he's put on. And uh, hopefully that helps him get a a few more dubs because he's, yeah, he's doing really well so far. All right. So from a guy getting to the free throw line a lot to a team not getting there at all, the Illawarra Hawks, last in the league in free throw rate. Gorgian continues to talk about his frustrations in that regard. Here's the, the, the simple statistical fact about the Hawks. They've lost four of their last six games. Mm. 
Now, let's dive a little bit deeper because the, their defensive issues have been much discussed. Bottom three for, for defensive efficiency. Must get better in that regard. But I want to chat to you a little bit about their offense because they're last in the league for assist percentage. So the percentage of their baskets that come off an assist. Mm. Last night, they had just nine assists as an entire team, equal lowest by any team this season. Now, I went back and I crunched the numbers. I thought, well, how does this relate to like being a championship contender, winning the title? Eight of the last 10 championship winning teams in the NBL, a number of which you're involved in, ranked inside the top three for assist percentage. Now, mm. the, the exceptions were your 2017 championship winning team, where Bryce Cotton came in late. You were kind of <laughs> middle of the pack. You watched him do his thing off the bounce. Uh, and Melbourne in 2018, whereas a lot of Casper wear off the dribble, mm-hmm. a lot of um, isolation stuff. Everyone else, last 10 years, and I, I, I'm sure it would be the same moving back beyond then, were move the ball, set up a lot of buckets from um, their offense and from moving the ball. What do you make of Illawarra, especially at the offensive end of the floor? Yeah, it is that. It's stagnant. You've got some really good players. I mean, Tyler Harvey is just still one of my most favorite players to watch, but they've got a good balance out there with him. So I, I think it was Adam Ford when he was an assistant with us. You know, we used to come in and there's some crazy statistic that if we had, I think it was only just three passes or four passes once we crossed halfway our scoring efficiency was crazy good. Really? And, and, and I know that we ran the flex, so that meant, you know, we were yeah. going to get into a few extra passes. But just getting ball movement side to side, and then even more importantly, inside and out, it just meant, you know, you got better looks. So, you know, Bryce Cotton, there's exceptions to the rule where if B's feeling it and he wants to go full court, one-on-one, one-on-two, whatever it is, green light, you're never going to question it. But more often than not, in a half-court setting, run some things and then get it to your start or then get it to, you know, use them as a decoy, get it to someone for a better look. So they've got the personnel, but maybe sometimes it is just a little bit too easy to put the ball in your stud's hand, get him in a pick and roll situation with your second best player and just say, go do something. No, you can get to that with eight seconds to go. Let's see a bit of ball movement first and and see where it ends up. In saying that, some of the shots Harvey's missing, Mm. you know, I don't expect to see that for the rest of the season. You know, Jessup can get going. So I think it's a combination of when they get one win, that's going to turn into four. You know, preseason, I tipped them to be in the the finals, uh, in the grand final matchup. And Mm -hmm. I still haven't changed my mind despite their current win-loss record. Okay. I just wonder whether there's, I don't know, an element of kind of selfishness about this team at the moment that they just need to kind of move beyond. I don't think they've got selfish guys on the floor. You know, I don't, Tyler Harvey's not built that way. Mm. Um, uh, Antonius Cleveland, Justinian, Jessup, Dorp, these guys aren't built that way, but at both ends of the floor, that like Trevor Gleason would always talk about having each other's back. And what he's, what I'm sure you'll agree he was meaning about that was um, defending as five guys as one. So you're ready to help and rotate and we're all there for each other. And they've had those issues at the defensive end. But then I think these numbers speak to a little bit of that at the offensive end as well. And one guy I would look at is Xavier Rathan Mays, Mm. who Gorge brought in that import backup point guard for a very particular reason to say, we want to move Tyler Harvey off the ball sometimes. So we Mm -hmm. need a distributor, a guy who can kind of run the offense when, when we do that. But Rutan Mays is actually second in the league in frequency for isolation plays. 
right now. Shout out Jordan McCullum. .com for, that, for, that, for that stuff. So Bryce Cotton is, of course, number one. Throw it mm-hmm. to him late in the shot clock and let that man do his work. Ritam Mays is number two. I think he's about 15th in the league in assists per game. Mm-hmm. What, do you see what I'm seeing with him where he, they need him to actually become a little bit more of a distributor? Well, you look at uh, Bryce, who you mentioned. Um, you know, I'm biased. I get that. But, you know, I think he's the best player in the league. And he's more than capable of being a, a point guard. Mm-hmm. But I think the Wildcats are still better when Mitch Norton is the point guard out there because when you're the point guard and you're the best scorer in the league and you <laughs> Bryce is the leading scorer in the league, but he's so unselfish. Yes. Like, I, I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough having played alongside him. So when you're an unselfish scorer playing the point guard role, sometimes it can be like, well, do I need to run something now for Vic? Do I need to roll it in the post? Do I need to do this? I don't want Bryce thinking, I want you just being you. And it's easier for Bryce to be Bryce if he's off the ball you know, at times and, and give it to Norto to run so Norto can specify who we're running it for. And then you're given the green light to go do whatever you want. So I would love to see that for Tyler. You know, get yes. him off the ball, have a point guard, but then your role as the point guard is making sure you've got that balance of, yes, you're our best player, you're our number one look, but I've got to also use you as a decoy at times. I've got to also make sure that other guys are in the game and in the game early because Tyler's going to have off nights. I've got to get Jessup in the game early with looks. But more importantly, and this is purely from an outsider looking in, it does seem like their energy is generated from the offensive end. Right. And that's not how it should be ever. Your yeah. energy should come from stops and that leads to early but easy baskets at the other end. And I think they've got that the wrong way around right now. All right, let's talk about one of your former teammates, Wani Swakalabulak. <laughs> Love it. Lighting a little under the radar in the most improved player conversation, which is completely unfair Here's the number for him, and it's plain and simple. He's averaging 27 minutes per game. <laughs> I, uh, I love it. I, Wani is a hell of a guy, great work ethic. I couldn't believe that he didn't pick up a full contract with a club uh, after, you know, Wildcats didn't re-sign him. So it blew my mind. But credit to Sydney, they got him at an absolute steal, like as a DP or whatever it was they signed him as or an injury player. Yeah. But now he's, you know, now he's a big time performer for them. And I think you're now really seeing who one he is. Energy guy can knock down the three, pick up defensively, swoop in for rebounds. Now I'm over the moon for him. This isn't just a, you know, a little purple patch he's going through. This is what he's capable of. And he's still so young that uh, you're going to see much more of it. Is this like a, um, they're different players, but is, do, are we seeing like, you remember Jared Weeks? Age of mm-hmm. 97 at Illawarra, where he came in for the four-game contract initially, and then he got the deal, and now he hasn't been out of the league ever since. Is this are we watching that moment right now with with Wani? Yeah, definitely. And you know, Wani was a you know, won a junior national championship with WA, you know, played on all the junior Australian teams with Luke Travers and and all the other boys. So his credentials speak for themselves, but sometimes you forget that. Now, a lot of kids his age after a national championship go to college and they've got four years to grow as a player and as a person, whereas he decided to stay and compete against grown men. Uh, and that can sometimes, you know, derail you a little bit or at least you judged on your performances against grown men with much more experience. Instead, he did the hard yards probably out in Perth, didn't quite reap the rewards with a, a full contract. But now, given the opportunity, you know, he has grown as a person, grown as a player, and no surprise what his talent level is, is doing on the court because he always had that. It's just that you forget how young he is at times. Um, I'm using this episode of The Huddle to, to start the Wani Swakala Bullock MIP 
conversation. <laughs> hey, I would jump on that because I love Wani and, and obviously I pay more attention to him when he's on the court, uh, knowing him. And, and I just think he's been amazing. Like it kind of started with that rip baseline, that dunk yes. at the end of the game after he'd already had a huge game. And you just build confidence. But confidence can come from the coaches throwing you out there early and instead of making a mistake and getting dragged, no, 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 no. You've got five. You've got seven minutes. We're not dragging you until you're fatigued. It's yep. not a turnover thing. It's a fatigue thing because he will work hard and, and he, he would frustrate opposing players uh, just because he does have great athleticism, great wingspan and, and a willingness to move his feet. And the thing that can happen at the end of the year when people vote for these awards and especially most improved player, this is what happens, is they look at um, what their, their numbers were last year and they compare it to what their numbers are this year. Mm. And you're not going to see an enormous jump in points per game. You're not going to see an enormous jump in these kind of counting stats. But what you're going to see is that last year, he averaged 4.7 minutes per game. Mm -hmm. And this year, as I said, he's playing 27. He's almost leading. There's been a number of games where he's led the Kings in minutes mm. because he's so valuable outside on the floor, which is why the conversation about him needs to start now so that people can watch <laughs> him all year and appreciate what he's bringing to the table. Because what he did against Bryce Cotton the other day, very few players in the league can do. Yeah, and you know, there's there's some players you just love to have on the court, and before you know it, they've played 27 minutes without really feeling the box score, just because they don't make any mistakes. Yet they, more importantly, make it harder for the opposition, and they improve their teammates. So mm. when you're unselfish, you, you can space the floor, you crash rebounds, you pick up defensively, you're not get creating any turnovers. Uh, you just, you know, you deserve your minutes, and he he has deserved them, and he's repaying the faith that his coaches instilled in him. All right, two more to go. Number nine, Cairns lead the league in both assist percentage, good, as we discussed before, and turnover percentage, bad. What's going on with the Taipans? Yeah, look, it's defense. You can, oh, sorry, the assist one, you can put down to some great structure and unselfishness, a good style of play. And they are fun to watch, but it doesn't take a genius to realize that it's just hard to win games when you're turning the ball over as much. You know, there is the Scotty Machado factor. There's there's no getting past that without him. He's the head of the snake. Mm -hmm. He out injured, does hurt. You know, he, he's not a huge turnover guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, they've just flat out got to take care of the ball. And sometimes they're probably being a little too unselfish and it should just be like, now let's get on the ring or get to the free throw line. And that'll take away from that extra pass, which may not be need to throw in. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, I love the Taipans. I love the way they play at one mm. end and then you can't help but get fresh frustrated at times when they're giving up the rock. Um, and I think you mentioned Scott Machado being out. I think that the, uh, the, the absence of Machado, Kowatnoi, Mirko Jerry, mm. like, geez, if you took out a star import, two starters, including a star import, and you're one of your main guys off the bench from any team across the league, probably going to lose games let alone a, you know, a small market team who doesn't necessarily have the funds mm. to have quite the depth of talent everybody else has. So I don't know, with those guys out on the floor, I don't think there should be any expectation that they win against any team in this league. Adam Ford will have an expectation internally. Saw mm. a report the other day that I highlighted that he was ripping through his, his squad on the practice floor, which I'm sure comes <laughs> as no surprise to you. But um, I like the way, as you say, they're battling. I like the, how hard they're playing defensively for Adam Ford getting in the lanes and, and staying competitive. Yeah, and it, it's a case of control the controllables and a lot of those turnovers 
not necessarily are unforced, but they're not ones that you should be seeing and, and they're capable of fixing up, which is the exciting part. If they were playing their best basketball and still losing, yeah. you're tearing out your hair, you know, you, you get frustrated, you're saying, get, we've got no chance. Instead, there's stuff they can change and that'll put them in a better position. But you're right, you know, they probably are batting above their average right now with the injuries they've had, but they can stay competitive because of the style of play at one end, but they're letting themselves down. All right, this is the last one. The 10th statistical fact to run the numbers on, and this one is specifically designed to warm the cockles of your heart. <laughs> All right, go for Ready? it. Jesse Wagstaff <laughs> is just yeah. two games away from becoming the 48th player ever to play 400 NBL games and the second all-time to play 400 games for the Wildcats. <laughs> it does warm my heart. Uh, and what it took 396 games for his first Euro step, which we saw a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. So, no, look, uh, there's a million things I could say about Jesse. And sadly, he's one of those guys where it's all positive. You know, he's in that same category as Kevin Lish, where it's impossible to say something negative about them. So I'd love to put some dirt on him at the end of the day. Well, there you go. Speaking of dirt, he's, the only negative he has in his life is he, he doesn't shower after shoot-around, between shoot-around and, and playing like you. And then he sleeps on top of his bed. There you go. That's the only dirt on Jesse Wagstaff. Otherwise, otherwise, he's got two engineering degrees, an MBA. He's a genius, incredible wife, three amazing children, six championships, current captain, mm -hmm. taking more charges than anyone else in the history yep. of the game. Probably what, to be honest, I, I rate Bryce and Jesse as the two guys that have won the Wildcats more games off the back of hot spurts in the fourth quarter than yes. anyone else I played alongside. Yep. New Zealand and Sydney in particular, those two teams must you know, have some <laughs> bad memories of, uh, of Jesse. He's the only man that could have survived that Josh Childress elbow. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's... I, I love Jesse. He's one of the all-time Wildcats greats, one of my favourite teammates and just a hell of a guy. So 400, considering he puts his body on the line every yeah. single game, speaks volumes to who he is off the court as a professional athlete. He's so elite. He takes no shortcuts. Uh, he might be a cheapskate uh, and not, so, <laughs> not take his wife out ever for dates, but uh, he's a good man. <laughs> there is a lot to unpack there. there. There is a lot to unpack. I mean, look, some, some guys take shower pills. Understand that there are there's a guy like that on every on every squad who just walks quickly out of the locker room. You're like, hold on, whoa, 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 wait, you, I didn't you have a shower, but but not never sleeping on top of it. What does he sleep on the floor? No, you'll sleep on top of the blanket. Sorry, like he doesn't get under the blanket because he because you you'll get a bit of a light sweat after game day shoot around, and he'll come in and then he'll leave the blinds open. So he used to room with Greg Hire, and uh -huh. Greg wanted that game day nap, curtains drawn, like closed, pitch black sleep. Instead, Jesse strong-armed him for the whole season. They would uh, have their nap time with the curtains open and Jesse on top of the blankets. But in saying that, he was also the first to get to shoot around at a home game. He got there ridiculously early. So we'd have shoot around, go home, have a nap, and then he'd be back on at you know RAC Arena about three and a half hours before tip-off. So by the time I got in there, he'd already you know made 100 threes and showered, and then he'd have a shower and then just be walking around naked in the locker room for a while. You're like, mate, no one wants to see that. Some things can't be unseen. Uh, so he did eventually shower, but it was a little too little too late and, and not in the right way. Something you didn't mention there along, along the way. Um, am I right in saying that Jesse Wagstaff uh, like makes board games? <laughs> yeah, so he is uh, a handyman. So, you know, he loves getting out into his shed. Uh, you know, his dad built his own wooden boat, like a legit boat that's out sailing. 
Wow. And he is his father's son. So whether it's board games, you know, toys for the kids, he's in his shed uh, building things all the time. He will put a big backpack on and go on like two and three day hikes, you know, going through treks. Uh, the really? day he got married, he got married in Colorado. His, his wife's from Denver, just outside of Denver. They got married on a Friday. It happened to be my wife's birthday on the Saturday. And you'd think the day after they get married, they'd be out celebrating doing this matter. This is them to a T. They're like, hey, it's Brit's birthday. How about we take you through the Rockies? And we went for a hike for the day. He's just a really wow. good human being, a lot yeah. of fond memories with him. And you could never knock him for anything he's done on or off the court. Um, so that's good. Let's start the conversation about Jesse's 400th, which will, should come up next week, I suppose. Um, mm. And it also relates to, I'm assuming in the next couple of days, they're going to announce that Perth Wildcats 40th anniversary team um mm. i've been massively privileged and honored to be a part of casting a vote for for that which i tell you churned me up there were some really kind of <laughs> tough decisions along the way i um uh looking forward to actually talking about them and going through who i mm. picked and why and why not and so on and so forth but are you excited about about having that un uh, unfolded or what's the word un un Announced, uh, unveiled, revealed. And unveiled, <laughs> unveiled over the next couple of days. Yeah, it is exciting. It's it's nostalgic as well. So when it was announced, obviously just to be in the, in the squad you know, was awesome. And then, you know, there's just sometimes reading names just puts a smile on your face because of the, the memories that come flooding back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started at the Wildcats with uh, Paul Rogers as the captain. Now, yep. his injury, un unfortunately, was short. Uh, his season was shortened because of an injury. But to be able to, you know, sit along and, and learn from him for my first season was, was a privilege. And obviously, you know, Martin Catalini was on that team, Sean mm -hmm. Redditch, Matty Knight, Nick Kay, Jesse Waxter, Bryce, Kev. Like, you just look at that squad and, and there's a different memory that comes flooding back for each one of those individuals. And, and they're all good. You know, there's not one name I read where you're like, oh, <laughs> did not like that guy. Yeah. Um, nah, so it, it's, uh, it's going to be a hell of a team. Can't wait for it to be announced. And yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to try and select it because yeah, there's there's some players you could just not separate. Yeah, no, it was impossible. Um, awesome, man. That was great. Thanks, thanks heaps for doing that. Your uh, incredible work from you is so bright and early over there in WA <laughs> and you were bright as a button. Two coffees. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna crash soon and have a nap by like 10 a.m. today. So no, my pleasure, mate. Love the numbers, uh, but like I said, uh, numbers tell, stories sell, and the biggest sell will be the wins, and regardless of any analytical numbers. For sure. Awesome, Davo. Speak soon, mate. Cheers, mate.